0: Colossians 1, verses 13-20 He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let the Lord bless. Reading of his word.
1: You hear it said a lot that 2020 is a rough year. (laughs) There's a lot of problems. And... Sometimes you hear it said there's some kind of unprecedented level of difficulty in the world. I'm not sure if that's true, how unprecedented it is, but uh, maybe for us. (laughs) Uh, We're not old enough to know what it's like to live in a world where half the world's population is starving all the time, but uh, anyway, there's a lot of problems. There's always a lot of problems. You personally have a lot of problems, I'm guessing.
2: Life has some rough edges. I don't know what your problem is. Well, some of you, I know what your
1: problem is. I'm very familiar with my own problems at least the way I perceive them. Though I'm guessing I also have
2: a lot of problems I'm not at all aware of. (laughs) That's a problem. I'd like to propose something to you this morning to think about.
1: And that's this. Whatever your problem is, whatever your problem is, maybe I should say whatever
2: your problems are, but whatever your problem is, your problem is inadequate attention to Jesus. Here's what I think. All your other problems come from that problem.
1: Somewhere, sometime, some point in human history, the only reason we have problems
2: at all is that problem. I'll talk some more about that as we go. You know, the first of the Ten Commandments, you know what it is? I'll tell you in case you don't know. You shall have no other gods before me. That's number one. Then, you know, somebody
1: asked Jesus about what the most important commandment was. You remember that? Here's something I've noticed. When people ask Jesus questions, Sometimes the answer is hard to fit with the question. Sometimes you think, that doesn't seem like you're answering the question they asked. Jesus didn't always speak, you know, directly. But on this occasion he did. Someone came up to him and they said, what's the most important commandment? And without hesitation he said, The foremost is, and then he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, the Old Testament law. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God
2: with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That word all. You know, the word all is a troublesome word wherever you find it in the Bible. You know, all. It's very absolute. Well, Jesus is just telling you the same commandment. You shall
1: have no other gods before me and you shall love the Lord your God with all you're all. Well, that's just another way of saying the exact same thing. You know, when I was a kid, I went to summer camp, and, you know, summer camp, you always got revived. I don't know if you have that experience, but the preacher would, you know, get on you and point out to you what kind of a sinner you actually were. You'd have a moment of honesty, and he'd ask you questions like, is Jesus... Number one in your life. You ever get asked that question? It's the same question. Is the Lord
2: first? Does he have first place? Do you love him?
1: Jesus, you know, Jesus said many, many pesky things.
2: Like... If you don't love me way
1: more than you love any other important thing or person in your life, you're not worthy of me.
2: Who can say that sort of thing? God. This is kind of why I'm telling you. Whatever your problem is, that's your problem. Jesus said, uh, Father, the hour has come. Glorify
1: your son that the son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life. Jesus is about to tell you, Jesus now, is about to tell you what the definition of eternal life, that they may know
2: you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, Whatever things were
1: gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ, More
2: than that, I count all things. Here's that word, all. I count all
1: things to be lost in view of the surpassing
2: value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. We just read from Colossians chapter 1. This verse comes from that text. Colossians
1: 1.18. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Why? Why? So that he himself
2: will come to have first place in everything. So here's the question Does Jesus have first place in your life? Is Jesus the most important thing in your life?
1: There's many ways we could answer that question. One way we could answer that question is, well, yes. It doesn't matter what you think of him. He is the most important thing in your life, whether you know it or not, because he simply is the most important thing. Period. And whether you recognize him or not, he is in first
2: place And he is the most important thing in your life. In fact, saying it that way is a little backwards. Because Jesus is not a thing in my life, I'm a thing in his life. Jesus is not some kind of supplement. God
1: is not some kind of thing I include. I'm not passing judgment upon him
2: to decide whether he's going to be important or not important. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He
1: has indeed
0: the man,
1: Jesus, this verse in Colossians tells us, says he has earned the position of first place in
2: everything. And of course, as the eternal son of God, he's always been in that position. So that maybe we should rephrase the question, am I living in a way that recognizes
1: that reality, the total supremacy of Jesus Christ? Am I giving him the attention he deserves? And when I ask the question that way, then the simple answer to the question is, obviously not. So the first obvious answer to the question is, of course he is. He's first place in everything, no matter what anyone thinks of him. He just is. He's God of gods, eternal son of God. Jesus Christ is Lord. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that reality sooner or later, one way or another. So I don't get to say whether he's in first place. He just is. But if I, if we're talking about how well I live in recognition of that fact, the answer is, well, not that well. I don't love him with all my heart, all my soul all my mind, all my strength.
2: I simply can't honestly make that claim. I wish I did. Because he simply is worthy of that level of my affection. I I can't say... I have no other gods.
1: Nothing ever displaces Him from the throne of my existence in my own mind, in my own heart and thinking and affection. If I think about heart, soul, mind, and strength, I go after other things. I can be distracted by flashy toys.
2: by other relationships. And I'm not unique in this. Scripture says this is everyone's condition. Romans chapter 1. Thank God for the honesty of the word of God. Thank God that the word of God does not leave you alone in this desperate condition. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or
1: give thanks, but became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise,
2: they became fools and exchanged
1: the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, crawling creatures.
2: You see, the heart of our problem is a problem of idolatry. the condition of all humanity. So I say, whatever your problem is, that's your problem. My simple goal, we're going to look at,
1: starting today, we're going to look at these first three verses of the book of Hebrews and think about who is this guy, who is this child in the manger.
2: We're going to answer that question. There's seven facts about Jesus
1: we're going to look at. They're listed in the notes in your bulletin. Today, we're just looking at one. seven things about that baby that require our attention
2: and our admiration, our worship. So let's just read it. Hebrews 1. God, having spoken
1: long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins,
2: he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is the identity of that child. So, The first thing we want to look at today is this. That little infant, born more or less outdoors, and because no cribs were available, he
1: was laid in an animal feed box.
2: These are not sanitary conditions for a newborn. That little baby is the speech of God. If we ask the question, What does God say? The answer is that child. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is what God says. As we have
1: seen in the book of John as we've studied <laughs> Jesus is identified as the logos of God, the the word of God.
2: The word of God is literally personified in the
1: child in the manger, that grows into the man on the cross, resurrected, ascended, seated, as we just read, at the right hand of the majesty
2: on high. He is the speech of God. And the the writer here distinguishes
1: him from the other ways God has spoken over the years. Over the years, God has spoken, he says, in all kinds of ways to various people, the prophets. But now, in these last days, and what makes them the last days is we have the final word. And that is the person. Of his son, he didn't speak to us through his son. He didn't speak to us by his
2: son. He spoke to us in his son. His son is the speech. Jesus doesn't just speak for God, Jesus is the message. In fact, all of those Old Testament
1: writers, do you know what Jesus said about the Old Testament?
2: In various ways at various times, he said it was about him.
1: You could go back to Genesis chapter 3 and read the promise God makes to Eve, that one day a son of hers will be born who will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will wound his heel, but he will crush the head of the serpent. That very first announcement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right there in Genesis, in fact, I would say, Jesus is in Genesis chapter 1 when God says, let us make man in our image, And
2: later we learn, who's the image? Who's the man that is the image? Jesus. Jesus, the
1: whole Bible is the story of God's revelation of himself in the
2: man, Jesus Christ, that baby in the manger. Jesus said, if you believed Moses, you'd believe me, because he wrote about me. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us.
1: We've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only begotten God,
2: who is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. He is the speech. All that God has to say to us is in Christ.
1: Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, all, okay, it might have been Second Corinthians, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. Christ is the speech. Christ is the announcement of law and gospel. Man, if you wanted to know you were a sinner, I know you don't really want to know that, but if you, were, if you wanted to know you were a sinner, all you got to do is read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus preaches the law. And he makes us understand how utterly impossible it is for us to actually receive God's blessing on the basis of our own merits and performance on the law. He says, I know you've heard, you know, you shouldn't commit adultery. And I'm telling you, if you've ever looked at someone with lust
2: in your mind, you're done. John 14, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us.
1: Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip?
2: I think, wait a second, he didn't ask about you. He asked about the Father. Whoever's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What do you think I've been doing all this whole
1: time, Philip? I've been showing you the Father. I am the speech of God. Peter writes, To this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The Old Testament is about Jesus. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, we read that uh, God preached the gospel to Abraham. That's the expression used. Galatians 3.8, God preached the gospel to Abraham, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when he said, in you all the nations
2: of the world will be blessed. Jesus doesn't just speak for God. Jesus is the speech of God. Theology is Christology.
1: That means to know about God, you've got to know Christ. The only way to know God is to know Jesus. Well, Jesus Himself said that, John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.
2: And to know Jesus is to hear from God. Who's that? child. Who's that
1: child? If we ask the question, what does
2: God say? The answer is in the manger. Think of it, (laughs) if you can.
1: The answer to the question, what does God say? is lying in the manger.
2: What a thing for God to say. What God says is, I will lie in a manger
1: for my love, for my love
2: of my creation in humanity. (laughs) You can't figure that out. That is beyond sense. What a thing for God to say.
1: Jesus, the man, the incarnate Son of God. The Son of God is
2: incarnate do you know what that tells you about what kind of thing
1: you are a human being do you know what that tells you about the significance of the human creation that God himself can be one
2: He's not just putting one on. He is one. He's the most
1: perfect example of a human being that ever has lived. If I want to know what a human being is, I look there.
2: What a thing for God to say. I'll be born.
1: I will become One of my creatures,
2: I can't even figure this out. It's beyond understanding, but it's true. (laughs) It's true. So what do you do with that? Well, in
1: Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews answers the question, what do you do with that? <laughs> when he gives us this list of things that tell us who Jesus is and the, very, the goal of the whole book of Hebrews is, hey, everyone, your problem is you need to pay attention to Jesus. And if you're thinking of leaving the fellowship of the church because of some persecution that might happen to you, then you have forgotten who Jesus is. And the thing you need is to remember Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. (laughs) What have we heard? The speech of God. God has in these last days spoken to us in his son. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. In chapter 3, he says, consider Jesus. When the writer of Hebrews gets around to giving us some commandments, this is the nature of his commandments. Later on, he says, uh, let us hold fast the hope of our, the, the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us fix our eyes. On Jesus, the the institutor and the
2: completer of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross.
1: Despising the shame. And that means not that he didn't understand the shame but that he didn't
2: consider it worth considering. He was indeed shamed, but he ignored that and has sat down
1: at the right hand of the throne of God. The only right response to understanding that Jesus is the speech of God is to pay attention and to believe to trust, pay attention to Jesus, trust Jesus, follow Jesus, fix our eyes as we're running the race. We fix our eyes on the one who's ahead of us in that race. We follow, we obey. So, Whatever your problem is, your problem is inadequate attention to Jesus, not
2: putting Jesus in his proper place. First, letting other things displace the Lord Jesus. Now, when I was a kid in camp, and I'd hear that,
1: you know, is Jesus number one in your life? and That's presented as some sort of law. So the right response is, therefore, make Jesus number one in your life which I have diligently tried to do from time to time and haven't pulled it off yet. So we're not talking in simple transactional terms. Make Jesus, because I'm telling you, you know, this is your real problem. Jesus isn't quite as number one as he needs to be. So make Jesus number one and all your problems will go away. Well, actually not. In fact, you probably have a few more problems if you do that. This is not a transaction, which is often how we present it. Look, just do what God requires and you'll be okay. No, you won't. You'll be worse.
2: Doing what God requires, well, that's what Jesus did. Look where it got him. Jesus said, the world will
1: hate you. They hated me first. What do you expect? So we're not saying, look, your problem is pay attention to Jesus and all your other problems go away. Uh, No, they don't. So we're not talking about a transactional arrangement. We're, We're talking about a relational arrangement. We're talking not in transactional terms, but in relational terms. Terms of trust, love,
2: fellowship, and hope in a person. The child. What is, what is the speech of God telling us? Well, it's in the name Emmanuel. It's in the name Emmanuel. It's in the name Yeshua, Jesus, Joshua, Savior. It's what that name means. The. Service of the child
1: is a service of reconciliation of a broken relationship. Our problem is we've turned away and
2: the child will bring us back. The child is telling you not that if you pay attention, if you pray,
1: pay proper attention to God, that, you know, God will solve all your problems tomorrow.
2: No, it's telling you that he will be with you in all of the suffering of our fallen and sinful condition. He will be with you. He has, in fact, by
1: his placement in that feed box,
2: come to be with us. Already, he was just born.
1: Already, he is in what you might call the worst possible condition of a human baby. Already on that very day, He is with you in whatever your problem is. He is here, He has come to join us to suffer with us all the way to the
2: humiliation of a capital criminal. All that way. There's nothing about our condition that he doesn't understand. That's the speech of God. And we want to relate to God on some
1: kind of legal transaction, like, okay, just tell us what to do, we'll do that, you'll be happy with
2: us, great. And God longs to be with us. That is not the same thing. So our response is to see
1: him, to know him, to trust him, to be reconciled to the living, righteous, holy God, even though we're sinners, in him. And to have, as a consequence,
2: actual life. There is no bigger deal than that. There's no bigger deal than that child born that day put in the manger. It's the biggest
1: thing ever. That's what we're celebrating in Christmas. That's what the world is accidentally celebrating in the Christmas holiday. We romanticize it. We, you know, turn it into some kind of fairy tale story. Isn't it
2: nice? It's not nice. It's not at all nice, actually. Putting a child in a feed box is not
1: nice. It's you only do it if you have no other choice. And God is saying to us, In that, I'm here.
2: I'm here. I'm here. And if you know that baby, you know me. Wow. When we come to the table.
1: That's what it's about. It's about knowing that. It's about knowing him. And we come at the table, we come to the other end of the story, right? To the sacrifice of Christ, the death of Christ, the, that
2: little baby's body on a cross. For me, for the love
1: of me and you. And we are to... To just remember,
2: just go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you. (laughs) I'll take it. So when we
1: receive the communion, that's what we say. We remember his death and we say, oh, my God, thank you. I'll take it. I'll have it. And so this thing that Jesus put at the centerpiece of
2: Christian worship is only a thing received. You just come and get it. And I think, what a picture. What a picture.
1: In, when God speaks to us in the child, the Lord Jesus Christ, what do we do? Listen, we just receive it. When Jesus gives his life a sacrifice for sin, what do I do? I say thank you, and I receive it. I trust in it. I look nowhere else for my standing before a righteous God. It's a little too simple. That's why we have such a hard time with it. It's too easy. It's,
2: eh, easy. Easy. cost everything, but it's very simple. Let's pray and we'll receive the Lord's table. Father, it's hard to express, it's hard to get our minds around these things, How can the Son of God be one of us, a little baby? Oh, Lord, uh, thank you that you you just didn't leave us
1: when we left you. Thank you for sending Christ for his sacrifice that makes us whole. Lord, our hope, as Peter says, is entirely fixed on that day when he will be revealed to us again in person.
2: We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.